Welcome to the State of Fem Art Podcast, a space where we drive conversations around what it means to be woman creatively and artistically in today's industry. A place where women from various walks of life share their experiences, triumphs, and obstacles as they navigate the state of the world and their creativity. This is a safe space. One where women are celebrated for being fearlessly and unapologetically them. It is a space of belonging for those who feel their artistic and creative endeavors have gone unseen, unheard, or unsupported. But here you will also get resources and tools to help you reach your next level. We'll laugh together, cry together, but more importantly, we'll grow together. I am Tamia Faulkner, and this is The State of Fem Art. I'm so excited to have today's guest with us, Miss Yasmin Williams. It's been a minute. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Thank you. How are you? It has been quite a minute. I know. It's just, it's, it really is the pandemic because I don't, I haven't been back home as often as I usually go back um, to the mm. East Coast. So a lot of the people that I'm so used to seeing or, you know, uh, visiting or popping up at their shows, it's a lot different nowadays. Oh, where are you? I'm in LA now. Oh, snap. Really? Yes. I'm Dang. in LA. I'm in LA. Everyone's moving out there. Wow. Living in La La Land. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell our guests a little bit about um, you, what type of artist you are, a little bit of background about um, just who you are as an artist? Oh, for sure. For sure. So I'm Yasmin and I play mainly solo acoustic guitar but I'm kind of expanding that to include other instruments. Um, I'm currently teaching myself how to play the banjo and a West African instrument called the Kora, which is kind of like a harp and has 21 strings and it's pretty cool. But um, yeah, um, basically I just call myself a guitarist and a composer and um, the music that I make is typically labeled as like folk, even though I, it's kind of, I don't really think it's completely that, but um, it's just instrumental music. But um, yeah. Do you feel like you've kind of developed your own sort of genre? Oh, kind of. I mean, I don't know. That sounds. This sounds like a like a humble brag, but like kind of. Like... I mean, you you can brag though because what you do and how you approach your music is just different. It's otherworldly. I've gotten oh my god in person in the flesh, and let me tell you what you do and what you're able to do through instrumentation and just composition is amazing. So, how did you get oh, thank your you. start in music? Like. Who influenced you or what was it that made you pick up a guitar one day and say, hey, <laughs> I'm going to play this on my lap? <laughs> <laughs> so, yo, like, okay, my parents definitely, they played music basically from like, as long as I can remember, they played, we, we were around music all the time, whether we were driving the car, just like in our house, just chilling. Um, we all had our favorite songs. I have four brothers. Um, and two older brothers at the time and we all had our favorite songs we would sing along to in the car and we had our own like parts and my parents were always 
I come from a very musical family. Um, so music has always been a part of my life and something that I've always loved. Um, the first instrument I actually started playing was clarinet in third or fourth grade in band. And like I was in my church choir and in school choir and I play a little bit piano um, before I started playing guitar. But I started playing guitar because my parents bought, they actually bought this game originally for my two older brothers. It's called Guitar Hero. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. But um, it's basically like, yeah? Okay. Yeah, I've heard of it. So, yeah. So it's basically like you play these, like, the game mainly had rock songs on it. And you played the songs with, like, this fake, like, plastic guitar controller. And um, I just got super good at it. And, like, I eventually beat the game and was, like, the best person in the house <laughs> on the game. And I convinced my parents to buy me a real guitar after that. So that's how I started playing guitar. And that was... 13 years ago so I've just been playing ever since and I eventually just developed my own kind of weird style just based on not only the video game and like the music that I liked um when I started playing guitar but also like eventually I started realizing like the stuff my parents played like a lot of the hip-hop a lot of the go-go music my dad played a lot of the um like more rhythmic based music my parents played a lot kind of had a big influence on me too and like the music I make now is very rhythmic heavy and um yeah so I kind of had to figure out a way to like incorporate all of those influences into one kind of guitar playing style so it's literally like gaming turned reality <laughs> like literally <laughs> like actually that is yeah that is wild so I want to talk <laughs> a little bit about delve into genre a little bit because yeah. You're in a space that, you know, being a Black musician and composer, you're in a genre that's traditionally not dominated by artists who look like you. What has that right. journey been like for you? It's been really interesting. I mean, I can't... It's been good. For the most part, it's been, it's been really good. I haven't had much, like, negative pushback to me kind of coming up on the scene. But it's also kind of like weird because when I go to a lot of my shows or if I'm opening for someone or playing at a festival or something I'm one of the few black people if not the only black person there which um takes I mean I'm kind of used to it because I, I went to a lot of majority white schools and I went to a PWI for college and whatever but it's still kind of like I hope this changes one day <laughs> Yeah, I, I always wonder because I just look at, you know, different different artists in, in genres where, you know, their audience or, you know, their cohorts may not necessarily look like them. Mm -hmm. So I look at, for example, Mickey Guyton. Right. She's been receiving so much um, pushback. Mm -hmm. And of course, she has many fans who love her. She's amazing. But at the same time, there's this sort of, you know, criticism. For or, sure. You know, this this space of this imagination. Imagine, I would say is something that is made up in people's minds that, you know, there are spaces in which certain artists who look a certain way don't belong. Yeah, and... I've experienced that a little bit, too. Um it seems like the more popular I get, the more I'm experiencing it, which makes sense, obviously. And, like, the more active I am on Twitter, especially, because Twitter can be just, like, a, a black hole sometimes. It really <laughs> is a black hole. And 
I'm wondering what can continue to be done to support artists, especially women artists, especially BIPOC women artists mm-hmm. who are in spaces where there's this ima- imaginatory, if that's even a word, line <laughs> of, you know, hey, you can't cross over into this space or into this genre or into this industry because of your, you know, even it, sometimes it's just because you are who you are, right? You have Literally, yeah. so much that you're bringing into a specific art discipline or a specific genre. And, and you know, people are just haters. You have some mm-hmm. people who like to pull behind their keyboards. So how do we open up space for um, a, a place of, you know, belongingness where there is a there is an active move towards having these conversations, but also supporting the artists in ways where they know they are loved, that they do belong in certain spaces. Because to me, I don't care how strong you are, as you continue to elevate in your career, it comes with, you know, with much success also comes much criticism. Absolutely. So I think it's important work to do so what would you recommend or or what have you um seen for yourself that has been effective yeah i think the only thing i can think of is to help each other as you know black female you know bipoc musicians whatever or minority if we're in my uh majority white spaces as minority musicians we just have to kind of do what we're doing already and help each other and if something silly happens um or if something racist or negative happens and we all need to speak out as a group and yes the folk community um from what i've seen now that i'm a part of it does that really well um the black folk musicians that i know definitely speak out when some nonsense happens and definitely speak up for each other and i think that's definitely the best strategy to use to one cultivate safe spaces for us and to show that we're not to be messed with to the greater, you know, population. Um, and things like this podcast are very helpful in terms of cultivating a safe space, um, allowing us to speak freely on things that affect us in our daily lives as musicians and, um, working musicians. And yeah, I mean, we just kind of got to keep doing what we're doing and just be adamant about it (laughs) basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. So congratulations on over a million streams. On, oh, snap. <laughs> I mean, on Spotify, <laughs> that's amazing. Amazing. But also, you. you know, we know there's some work to do there. So oh, Lord. What are, what are some things now that you're, you know, elevating in your career? It just mm-hmm. seems like things have been taking off for you. What are some things you wish you knew before starting in music? Oh, my goodness. I wish I knew how like okay so if i saw someone had like a million streams on spotify like before i like knew what i know now i would have been like oh my gosh they probably made like so much money from those streams <laughs> right and now i know like that's probably what three thousand dollars and if they're on the label they oh they get gosh. like they're lucky to get half of that if they're on a label like it's three grand yeah. for over a million streams yeah that is insane that is robbery it's literally spotify pays 
less than a penny per stream. It's 0.003. And I think you get a 0.005 if like the person who's streaming has a, the premium account. But yeah, it's nothing. Oh my gosh. So I wish I had known that. <laughs> because I, I, right. I, I've just streamed so much. Like I was definitely a heavy Spotify user. Because I thought that was like, you know, I stream the stuff every day. Like, the artist should be getting paid a substantial amount from that. But now I know that's that's not the case. So it's definitely better to buy physical merch from an artist. But anyway, I wish I knew that... I just wish I knew more of how the music business worked in general. Like, in terms of having a manager, in terms of having a business manager, in terms of having a booking agent. Like, particularly, all of these people get paid and they need to get paid. And just knowing like how the music business structure works, I know a bit now, but I wish I knew it before so I could like plan better, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's almost like this idea of social media versus real life, like what the industry looks like. Oh my like. God, yes, it's yeah. like, right, it's like, what's that? <laughs> that thing that the Shade Room posts sometimes where it's like, this is what I wanted, this is what I got. <laughs> That's literally what <laughs> I mean, that is, that's crazy. First of all, that's highway robbery. Second, are there, are there any um, platforms or any methods or things that you would recommend to artists who are just jumping into music? And, oh, absolutely. And that you have learned that you would um, give them as advice? Sure. So like, most people are going to continue streaming music because it, it would be a biz, big ask for people not to do that now. And I think title is the best way to go in terms of they pay out to the artist a lot more than Spotify does. And also the audio quality is better. Um, so for a streaming platform, I would recommend that. But if you haven't heard of Bandcamp, I would highly recommend going on there too. They have a lot of um, artists you may not have heard of before. And they definitely pay the most to the musicians when you buy like a CD or a vinyl or just buy a digital download of an album. So I would rec recommend those two things. Oh, wow. That's great. And I feel like Ben Camp is an OG. Like, and it's, it's one of those sleepers. It's such an OG, right? It's so underrated. Yeah. It's so annoying. Like more people should know about it. It's in I know. for finding like new music. Or from like people you haven't heard of if you like doing that Bandcamp is definitely the best um way to do that because if you like an artist that you haven't heard of they'll have like t-shirts on there they'll have vinyl they'll have cds and just things you can buy whereas spotify or the streaming platforms just you can stream it but that's pretty much it so in that vein of course i'm on the end of definitely advocacy especially for women in arts so what are mm -hmm. things that you feel as a whole the industry can do better to support artists so that there is a constant progression towards forward movement where artists really feel like they are being fairly not just compensated but also receiving the opportunities the resources that they right. need to prepare for their right. artistry because even some of the most prominent artists um you know are really they're getting robbed even at the, highest, <laughs> yeah, at the highest level so you know what can we do to continue to support artists well i think the industry at large should be way more transparent with how things work 
for example, record labels and royalty payments. No one really knows exactly how that works. Like most record deals, you'll get some sort of like percentage of royalties paid to you from the record label if you release an album or a single or whatever. But like, how do we calculate what the royalty actually is? Like, how do we know we're getting fairly compensated for that? We kind of don't. Um, but this kind of goes into the government and like, cause there's laws that regulate copyright or that regulate royalty rates and all that stuff. So that gets really like complicated. But I think the industry definitely should be more transparent in general. Um, and in terms of like people who consume music, which is basically everybody, I think just focus on just buying like physical merch and stuff from an artist that you like and maybe focus less on streaming and definitely go to shows. <laughs> That's a huge one. Yes. Shows are the shows are the plug. Not only that, but I feel like it's the best way to experience exactly. music with your favorite artists. There is nothing like a live show, especially with live music. Don't get me started there. Like <laughs> Live music will always be something that I am drawn to and want to experience because it, it's the only way. It is the only way. Literally. Like, in my yeah. To experience music truly. So, with all that you have going on, I want to get into <laughs> your current projects. Uh -huh. First of all, Urban Driftwood. Yes. Let me tell you, it is, I really. There's so much that I love about the album. I love Aww. you as an artist um, in general, but there is such a tranquility and peace that I get when I listen Aww. to that album. I think that it is just, it, it really is sort of this sweeping, melodic, like, <laughs> trans that, that this album puts me into because you, uh, you do, you compose your music so beautifully but it's just it's just different can you talk about the approach to that album and what you yeah. have going on currently yeah so urban driftwood was just like a pandemic project so i recorded it in 2020 and well i basically i wrote most of it and recorded all of it and finished it in 2020 because like everything was shut down and all of my shows were canceled obviously <laughs> so i had a ton of time to work on it and it was definitely just the process of from like starting it to finishing it was extremely easy, which was weird considering the whole pandemic was was happening and is still happening. But um, I was lucky to have a studio super close to me, uh, Blue House Productions, that he was open and he was willing to record and stay six feet away and it was super safe. And yeah, but writing that album Definitely. I'm really happy that it, like you mentioned, like it calming you and like it being relaxing and stuff, because it was definitely relaxing to me um, writing it since so much was happening and so much uncertainty was going on and the social justice movements that were happening and the protests that were happening, like right in DC, right next to me. I went to a couple of them and that inspired some of the songs on the album, actually. But um, yeah, it was definitely uh, a trans, almost a transformative experience writing and finishing that album because it was just it's just like a basically me reflecting and processing everything that was happening in 2020 and like just being okay with uncertainty and hoping that things improve and but not really knowing if it would or wouldn't 
So yeah, I'm happy when anyone says like, I find the album so relaxing because it's like, that's great because I wasn't particularly relaxed during that time period. But um, I was definitely using writing the album as a way to kind of center myself and just be like, okay, I'm still a musician, even though kind of everything was taken away so suddenly. I'm still here. I can still at least write music and make something tangible out of this like chaos that's happening. That really speaks to the power of art. Exactly. I mean, that's what art is, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's so healing. And it's so dope to hear you say that, because I think a lot of creatives had a lot of creatives, a lot of artists had so much that was stripped from them during the pandemic Mm -hmm. to the point where sometimes you can become desensitized to the fact that. No, even though this was taken away, who I am as an artist and what I'm able to produce, what I'm able to write and create, like that is still present. And I mm-hmm. can still use that to navigate through, you know, this process or to sort through how I'm feeling or what I'm experiencing. So exactly. That's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. So do you have, I know you have so many uh tour stops okay yeah up. so yeah <laughs> um <laughs> that. Where, where can people come to see you perform so um i have a tour with a folk singer songwriter named ifo donovan coming up it starts on the 24th of february and we'll actually be stopping at the kennedy center on the 25th um of february but yeah that's like a two-week tour i'll be going to europe in june and staying there throughout june and that's the first time I'm actually going to Europe, so it's really cool. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I know you're coming to California. I am in April and early, late April and early May. I'll be on the West Coast, and I'm coming to California. Like, wait, where are you? are in L.A. I yeah, think the I'm closest... in L.A. I'm in SoCal. So where will that yeah. performance be? So April 28th, I'll be in Venice. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, Venice isn't far at all. Yeah. Yeah, we have a couple, a couple shows in, like, SoCal, and the rest are kind of, like, um, Portland area and some in Tucson and Washington and all that. Yeah. Um, well, when you come to to Cali, you have to let me know because oh, I'm absolutely. Gonna, I'm definitely gonna pull up. You're on the guest list. <laughs> I got you. Oh, I feel so loved. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. <laughs> but uh, so- yeah, yeah. Please come through. That'll be a fun show because I think the venue is like pretty new. Oh, um, awesome. But yeah, in June, I'll be in Europe, and I'm going to, oh my gosh, let me try to remember, um, Germany, and then Spain, the Netherlands after, then France, then London, UK, then Bristol, UK, and I'll be in the UK for a couple weeks after that, and then I go to Denmark. Did you ever think your music would take you all over the world? Absolutely not, no. (laughs) <laughs> no <laughs> I did not I mean I don't know I try not to think about that type of stuff to be honest because like yeah I've always been the type of person to feel like if I start thinking too far in the, to the future or like start thinking about what could happen then I just I just get in my head and then I'm like oh you know I just start like drifting a little bit I definitely yeah. like to stay in like the present moment and try to like work just just work towards the future but not necessarily just think about it too much you know So I have some, uh, speaking of thinking too much and being in our heads, I have a fun (laughs) little round of of some rapid fire questions. Oh gosh, yes, bring it. That I would love for you to answer. Bring it. 
Okay. No, but favorite... I will be ready. <laughs> all right. So, favorite artist of all time, dead or alive? Oh, what rapid fire? Come on, you what? Uh, Nina Simone. Oh yes, Nina. <laughs> love her. I mean, her voice. Her voice just. Her voice is literally just like. Every time I hear it, I have no words. I'm just like, she's not human. There's At no all. way. She's Nina. Like, there's, there's, there's a no whole other type of being called Nina Simone. And we're just like. Right. <laughs> all right. So food you could eat 365 days a year if you had to. Uh, mac and cheese. Mm. Baked. Oh, okay. She has a like, like, preference. She's like. At least four cheeses. Oh. Okay, so what, what type of cheeses are we putting in our mac? Okay, so we gotta have the smoked cheddar, we gotta have the gouda, Max? gotta have the sharp cheddar, gotta have the Colby Monterey Ooh. Jack, and like Velveeta. Add a little bit of Velveeta if you want it like. Listen, creamy. people don't know Velveeta is the secret sauce. People don't know, and it's sad <laughs> because that's why they're so dry. They are unfamiliar, okay? If you want that creaminess, you have to add. Get it going, Velveeta. Get the Velveeta. All right, last question. The most <laughs> awkward performance or gig of my life had to be? It was definitely when, so I showed up hungover. Oh my God. And I my dad had to drive me to the show Close because I way. couldn't. I was so, <laughs> was so, it was so stupid. And I was like, to my dad, I was like, can I just not go? And he was like, nope, you gotta go. You said you would go. It's your fault you're hungover. <laughs> so he drove me and I got up on stage and I only had to play two songs and I completely flubbed it. It was terrible. I didn't, I could not get through the songs at all. So I just walked off stage. <laughs> Wait, so, so walk me, okay, <laughs> walk me through what this looked like. Okay, so this show was at like a restaurant thing with a stage and there were other performers there too, but I was kind of like the guests, like I was kind of like the featured artist. So yeah, I show up completely just hungover, nauseous, bad off. And my dad's like, well, you got to perform because he, you know, which makes sense. He was, you know, got to be accountable. So I go up on stage and I forget half of the first song. So I start over, then forget the same part again. So I just barely finished that. And then the second song, I just messed up so much. It was ridiculous because I was hungover. So like I couldn't, my fingers just weren't. It was, it was just so, it was At so bad. At least you didn't, like, so now stage I, or, it, or something like that. Honestly, it took a lot for that not to happen. I was so just nauseous. It was gross. So now I, I rarely drink before shows now because of that. Wow. That is actually an <laughs> epic story, which is, I, I was not expecting that, like, at all. Shout out to my dad for holding me accountable. I know, your I dad a is a real that one. That is a real one for that. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my gosh. I've had so much fun talking to you. Me too. It's so nice to talk to you again. Oh. Please come to my LA show. And even if you can't come to the show, I would love to just have lunch or something. 
Oh no, I'm out. pulling up to the show. Okay, you said please April do 28th. That. You said you have a few shows in Southern yeah. California, so definitely send me the dates because I'm pulling up. Like, oh my I'm gosh, coming. yes. Okay, good. Yeah, there's no reason that you would be here and I, w- I wouldn't support <laughs> you. <laughs> I love that. See, this is why like podcasts and spaces like these are just so necessary for just artists like me because we, I don't know. A lot of yes, times in interviews, I feel listening. like I can... Yeah. Yeah, we got to let everybody know who's listening. If you are in any of the areas, any of the countries that she mentioned, <laughs> we will be in. Pull up. Pull up yes. and support. Come Thank out. You. Show love. Yasmin, this was amazing. Can you please let our listeners know where they can follow you and find out more about your journey as an artist. Absolutely. So you can go on my website, yasminwilliamsmusic.com. I recently redesigned the entire thing and it looks pretty good if I do say so myself. So check me out on there. All my tour dates are on there. I'm pretty active on Instagram and Twitter. My Instagram is guitar.yaz, Y-A-Z. And my Twitter is guitar underscore yaz. And um, I don't know who uses Facebook, but I'm on there too. Like, uh, I think our parents. Okay, well, I'm on there. (laughs) I think our parents, our our grandparents are even creeping on Facebook now. (laughs) They really do. My grandma's on there all the time. (laughs) Maybe they are there. (laughs) But you all heard it. Please make sure that you pull up to her uh, tour stops. Follow her everywhere. It was so great speaking with you. And I'm definitely pulling up to your show. Yes, I can't wait. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the State of Film Art Podcast. You can catch new episodes bi-weekly on Thursdays. And make sure that you connect with us by following us on Instagram at SoFilmArt. And you can also visit our website and listen to past episodes at SoFilmArt.com.